HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com or download the Whole Foods Market app to learn more and find the store nearest to you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello, welcome to Japan Needs. I'm your host, Akiko Kotayama, a food writer and director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from our studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We sushi at every daily in the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi, ramen, izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, so I'll try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And my guest today is Christian Bonmo, who is the co-founder of the Japanese Pantry in San Francisco, which is dedicated to bringing the best quality artisanal Japanese ingredients to the U.S. And you can find Japanese ingredients even at regular supermarkets lately, but really precious artisanal products are very hard to find. So that's where the Japanese pantry comes in. So today we'll discuss how Chris got into Japanese artisanal products, what is special about Japanese ingredients, a craftsman and woman he works with, and much, much more. But quickly, before we start, Japan Needs is available on Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes and Stitcher's podcast. So please go to iTunes or Stitcher and subscribe to Japan Needs, and please write a review as well. We really appreciate your feedback. Also, if you have any ideas about the topics of the show or show guests, please let us know. You can email us at japanneeds at heritageradionetwork.org or akikokatema.com. Now let's start our conversation with Chris, Christian Bonomo. Hello, Chris. Welcome to Japan Needs. Akiko, thank you for having me. So, okay. So, uh, first of all, uh, where are you from, and uh, what did you eat when you grew up? So, I'm from Massachusetts originally. I live in San Francisco now and have for almost 25 years. Mm -hmm. But I grew up in Massachusetts, and what did we eat? Well... My mom was not the greatest cook back then. She's a great cook now. Um, (laughs) But we had pretty standard food. I don't think we had a lot of um, foods that were other than American food. Although my dad came from an Italian family, so maybe we had some good pasta every now and again. Mm, That's precious. (laughs) (laughs) Those were good foods. That's true. Yeah, it was interesting because Japanese food and Italian food tend to be similar because they both have... Um, really a strong emphasis on ingredients. That's absolutely true. Right. Absolutely true. So uh, so what was your first encounter with Japanese culture? So I was a teenager in the 80s, and back in the 1980s, Japan was all-powerful. Japan was buying, um, Japanese companies were buying Rockefeller Center and tons of golf courses in Hawaii, and they were just all-powerful. That was, that was the big bubble of, for Japan. And I was um, I read a lot of different books about Japan at that point, and so I was fascinated, sort of from a business standpoint at that point. Mm-hmm. So that's how I became 
sort of interested in Japan. Mm, okay. And uh, so I heard that you went to Japan for the first time in 2007. So why and how long did you go there? I went there for about a week and a few days.、Um, it was for business. I was working for a, an investment company and we were going over to visit our Japanese customers. And so I got the whole. Um, Japanese business experience in terms of getting taken out and going to sing karaoke. And <laughs> that was a big time, too. It was fun. That was really fun. But the really special part of that trip was the first three days.、Um, I met my dad over there. He was、uh, traveling on to China, but we met、um, in Tokyo first for a long weekend and had a grand time. And the thing that I remember the most,、um, and I had searched this out before we went, was.、Uh, We found this great little yakitori shop in、uh, Yurakucho、um, near Tokyo Station. And it was just a little hole in the wall. And we sat right in front of the master <laughs> and just continued to just ate and、um, all sorts of different skewers. We, there was a TV set up high that had a baseball game on, and we had wonderful cold beers. It was just an amazing experience. <laughs>、mm, I'd imagine it was a summer, hot summer day. It, it was. It was,、uh, I think, late spring, and it was hot outside, though. Of、okay. course, Tokyo was almost always hot, except、mm. in the winter. Because it's like a yakitori beer and a baseball TV. It's completely summery. It's the trifecta, I think. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. So, uh, so um, maybe you can tell us、uh, your experience during the trip, like probably, you know, one of the moments, like, wow, inspired by that experience. Yeah, so one of the moments.、Um, Besides, that time with my dad was very special, A, personally, but also from. My dad was also very much into food. And so, finding, for example, that yakitori place, I went back to that yakitori place at the end of my trip when I was by myself、mm. um, uh, because it was such a great experience.、Um, but one of the other things that sort of lit the light in my head that something special was going on in Japan was、uh, we had a. I took the Shinkansen down to Osaka. To visit with a client, and we had about an hour before our meeting, and we sat down in a nondescript、uh, restaurant that was about two, two basements down、uh, near the train station and had okonomiyaki, which was the first time it ever had okonomiyaki.、Mm. And this, you know, the server comes over and starts preparing it at the table, and it was just delicious. And I was, wow, this great food comes from. And of course, okonomiyaki is about as home food as you can get, right?、Mm, it's it's, it's pretty, a Japanese pancake. Exactly. Right. And then、uh, cooked as、uh, lap lunch on the whole plate. Yep. And、uh, you can be served by the professionally trained waitress or server to make that, but you can learn how to cook by yourself. And, and it's fun, too. You got to flip it right, though. That's the important、oh, yeah. part. You got <laughs> to go, go for it on the flip. <laughs>、right. Otherwise, it's going to be a mess.、Um, <laughs> And so we had this great meal, and it was just a standard lunch, and sort of the light lit in my head that something interesting is going on here.、Mm. Yeah, it's funny because people tend to think, you know, the sushi, and、uh, um, I mean, the okonomiyaki is very cheap,、yes. like ordinary、yes. food, and the kaiseki sushi can be totally fine dining image, but I think the majority of Japanese food said it'd be understood as ramen equivalent.、Mm-hmm. Okonomiyaki and other daily food is such an undiscovered world. It is. It's definitely undiscovered, but it's also the amount of care that people take, even with sort of the everyday、mm. comfort foods, that、right. is really interesting.、Mm. Right. So, I mean, we've been doing this show for like、uh, almost close to 100 episodes, but always there's a concept of、uh, gratitude、mm. and respect to something you know, you're given, or even the death of an animal that died for you. That kind of, so, I think that's、uh, the care. Naturally. Well, and that's the whole idea of itadakimasu,、mm. which is to say thank you to everything that went into making that meal. Right. From the chef to whatever animals or whatever plants gave、mm. their lives for this to the person who drove, you know, the person who stocked the shelves at the supermarket to everybody who was part of that.、And、I think、mm. it's a really powerful and important thing that we don't really think about too much. Right. And also,、um, um, gochisou sama, to end, to start itadakimasu,、yes. to end the gochisou sama. So, yeah, I feel whenever I, you know, each time I eat, I use that, you know, the phrase begin, beginning and at the end. So it's really a good reminder. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Right. So, and I, I heard that you kept going back to Japan、uh, since your first trip. I have. I've gone back a number of times、um, on my own. 
and then, of course, a number of times now as part of the Japanese pantry. Mm. I just, the culture is fascinating to me in many different ways. It's seemingly so similar. It, Tokyo, in a lot of ways, looks like a Western city, but you scratch the surface a little bit and you realize that there's so much more and there's so much Japanese about it. I don't know how to really put it. Um, mm. And the food, of course. I just love the food. So. <laughs> and the people are incredibly friendly. Incredibly friendly. Mm, right. So, yeah, I, I've never heard of anyone who they're treated unfriendly. No. <laughs> no, right. not at all. So, and I think they started to speak more English. I f- it, uh, yes, I think... Um, uh, and I found this also in Europe, too. The Sort of the generation now that is in hospitality, mm. sort of the 20s, 30-something people, I think, have more English now than they used to. And... Japan has gone, um, has made tremendous strides in putting English on pretty much all of the public transportation, so signs and whatnot. And plus, with apps you can get now, it is inc- I find it very easy to get around. Hmm. So. Maybe you can show that. Maybe on the show posted. <laughs> Some of those apps are great, and you know, I mean, because for example, in Tokyo, the addressing system is so difficult. Yes. Um, but now with Google, hmm. it's a lot easier. Right. Okay, yeah, I used to carry a thick uh, map whenever. Mm-hmm. Even for me, when I visit Japan, it's like, oh, my God, I, I can't. And the taxi drivers even don't know. Right. They should be around here. So <laughs> but they let you out, and you have to find the rest of your way yourself. Right. Okay, but you can ask people. They were pretty kind, and then they don't Absolutely. bother <laughs> taking you to the place. Right. Okay, so let's talk about uh, the Japanese pantry. Sure. So what, it, what is Japanese pantry? The Japanese pantry um, is an importer... Uh, distributor, wholesaler, and online retailer of artisanal Japanese ingredients. Mm. Uh, my co-founder, Greg Dunmore, and I have gone over to Japan and found amazing artisanal ingredients that just have not seen the light of day over here. Mm. Uh, and you can get the best Italian olive oil or sherry vinegar or French cheese. But up until this point, um, Japanese ingredients have been pretty mediocre, shall we say. And mm-hmm. so we want to bring over some of those, and we are bringing over incredibly high-end uh, artisanal ingredients and introducing them not only to chefs, but also to home cooks mm-hmm. across the U.S. Interesting. I think uh, typically sake used to be really bad, so bad that uh, people used to warm up the mm-hmm. cheap sake, mm-hmm. and then at, at the end, of course, you get a headache, <laughs> the cheap quality. Exactly. So it, that's the b- bad beginning for sake. But nowadays, high-quality sake Very high quality is coming. Sake. So that's the thing that you're, the path you're following for other ingredients. I, I hope so. I hope so. Right. So um, so just tell us about uh, the Greg Dunmore, the co-founder, like you said. So who is he, and uh, how did you guys meet and ended up fun- founding such a fascinating company together? Sure. So Greg is a chef. He's a, a actual chef. I'm just a passionate home cook. But um, how we met each other is I used to be a regular at his restaurant, Nojo, in San Francisco. Mm, Nojo means farm. Yes, right? exactly. Exactly. Um, and he, he um, one of the things that he did and he loved to do there was cook yakitori. And I think I've already told you about my yakitori. Um <laughs> Uh, likings, and so I would sit right in front of Greg while, and pretty much order whatever he had. Just send me whatever you got. Mm. And um, that's I, so I was a regular there. Interesting. And Greg, um, so he was the chef owner of Nojo and uh, had that for five years and then sold it to a Japanese restaurant company. Mm, but he, he was a graduate of CIA. Yes. And then he, I don't think he went straight into Japanese cooking. No, no he did not. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, he one of the first things that he did is he went and worked in Atlanta at uh, a restaurant called Bacchanalia, which is a very well-known, still even to this day, and that was like 20 years ago or so when Greg went to work there. Mm. Um, but actually, that's when he was really introduced, or the door was open, shall we say, to, to Japanese cuisine for him. Mm. One night after service, um, another chef friend of his said, hey, we're going to go to Denchan Yakitori, which unfortunately is no longer in Atlanta, but it was a yakitori place. Mm. And Greg had an amazing meal, had a great time, and his mind was sort of open that, wow, it's not just sushi. Mm. Japanese food can be more. Um, And I think part of the thing that really got him, besides the delicious flavors that he ate that night, 
was the camaraderie and just sort of the feeling of that restaurant mm. um, and how fun it was. Uh, so he that was the start for Greg. Mm. Um, after that, he came out to San Francisco and ended up working for a chef called uh, Hirosone, who has for a long, long time had a very well has had a very well regarded restaurant in St. Helena up in Napa, uh, up in Napa which mm-hmm. is called Terra. Um, and Greg worked for um, Hero for a long time. And then Hero st- was going to open a restaurant called Ame at the St. Regis in San Francisco. And Greg was his opening chef there. Mm. Um, so that uh, that uh, restaurant earned a Michelin star um, and was not all Japanese, but very influenced by by. By Japanese cuisine. Mm. Hiro-san is a friend of mine. Oh. And uh, maybe I went to uh, Ame when they op- opened, like, shortly after. So may I, I might have met Greg. You might have <laughs> met him at that point then. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Right. Mm. Okay, that's a very interesting uh, past because uh, Hiro-san, he has a really uh, interesting French background mm-hmm. as well as Japanese roots. So I can see why the Nojo opened. I think, I think that's one of the beautiful things about... Um, about that restaurant and also sort of about American cuisine in general is that it's a, it's a mix. Mm. It always has been a mix. It's been a mix of French and a mix of Italian um, and a mix of German and, um, and Jewish foods. And there's always been a small part of it that has been Japanese too because mm. Japanese Americans are part of the culture and the culture... Uh, the food culture sort of expands. Mm. Um, and, it, and Japanese ingredients are now becoming part, a bigger part uh, of the American chef's pantry. Mm. Um, and the techniques, of course, too. Right. And so those flavors are being melded in to uh, American cuisine in just regular, quote-unquote, American restaurants. Right. Well, they, well, typically, I think, soy sauce, the hidden... Uh, ingredients people, a lot of American chefs use, and also dashi started to Absolutely. be. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, so, well, that's interesting. But and I heard that Greg already uh, started working on promoting Japanese artisanal products while he was working as a chef at Nojo. So, how, you know, it sounds like it's the foundation of uh, the Japanese pantry. It really is. Um, it's about four or five years ago, and Greg was. Uh, Japanese government, I think it was Jetro, it's sort of a quasi-Japanese government organization, was pairing up Japanese producers with San Francisco chefs. And the producer would bring one ingredient, and the chef would make a dish with that one ingredient and highlight it on their menu for a week. Mm. And Greg uh, was introduced to uh, Watasan from Wataman uh, Sesame out of Osaka. Mm. And uh, Greg made a dish with uh, the black sesame paste that uh, Wataman has and he became friends with uh, Watasan and uh, Greg actually went over there and visited with him and uh, uh, vice versa and they talked actually about starting up a company to import artisanal Japanese ingredients Mm. but it was a situation where Watasan had a sesame company to manage and Greg had a restaurant to manage and they couldn't really make it work Mm. so it was sort of put on the back burner Right. And then how it started. <laughs> and then how did it start? Well, I, as I said, I was a regular of, of Nojo, and I was talking with Greg and telling him about how I'd been to Japan and loved to cook and had all these great ingredients and would bring them back in my suitcase, and then I'd run out of those ingredients, and then I would cry, and I'd have to go back, which is a good thing, um, but that there were such great ingredients over there, um, and that you know we couldn't get them here. And he told me about the idea for the business and I said you know we can we could do this mm, <laughs> we could actually you make this work the, in the investment business I was in the investment business <laughs> and um, had been for a while and and was looking for another sort of my next chapter and this one seemed like a really good idea because it was my passion mm. so I was able to follow the passion which is right. always yeah. the best if you follow it, this, you don't work anymore. No, exactly. Right. You're willing to work all day long because <laughs> it doesn't danger. feel like work. <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling. Right. So um, so you have uh, 12 fascinating artisanal uh, products on your website. So what are your criteria for selecting producers? Well, that's the thing. They have to be artisanal. It has to be a small company who is spending 
the time, energy, and really love to make an amazing product mm. um, that has selected great ingredients. If they're making soy sauce, then um, their their soy is probably organic. It's probably from Japan. Same for their wheat. Um, they're going to be, uh, for example, aging that soy sauce in Japanese cedar barrels. Um, for a long time mm. and so they're taking that care they're not these aren't huge companies i was looking at the list this week um every one of our companies has less than 100 employees most of them have fewer than 50 employees mm. i mean they're really small companies right and uh, mostly long history yes we have anywhere from 50 years to most of them are over 100 years, and we have one company that's 300 years old. Mm, wow. 18th generation. It's Hi. crazy. <laughs> we have no concept of that here in America. No. Right, before the country was built. Exactly. Right. So, but I noticed that you have uh, some uh, overlaps. Like, you have multiple soy sauce companies. So, you don't mind overlapping products in your pan? You know, each one of those soy sauces are, are, are different. You know, we have... Um, we have couple of organics but one's age one year and one's age two year and it's also nama so it's unpasteurized mm. um the 300 year old the 300 year old company that makes the soy sauce that is a completely special and different soy sauce on top of that we have a double brute soy sauce mm. we have a black soybean soy sauce so while they're all soy sauces they all have their different characteristics and chefs are using them in different ways mm, interesting so it's kind of you're pushing the envelope of the category of soy sauce because it's, it's not blanket. It's not blanket. They <laughs> are all different. They have different sort of uh, amounts of salt, you know, saltiness in them. Um, they can have different sort of textures, a little bit more viscous, a little bit less viscous. Mm. They are all different. Um, and they're being used differently by chefs. Right. At least I have three different kinds. You have, oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> that's right, good. But I'm, I'm not sure if that's so high quality like yours. So. Well, I, I have little gift for you later so maybe you can uh, have some more <laughs> okay right so but how do you find uh, those great producers and the products um it comes first i don't know is it word of mouth or you have some uh, connections well um one of the things that really makes japan work i think is is personal connections mm. and introductions and so that is one of the that is one of the major ways that we have found that. So our sesame producer Wataman he introduced us to Doisan from Kombu Doi, mm. and Doisan introduced us to Iosan from Iojozo, the vinegar maker. And the vinegar maker introduced us to <laughs> to Nomura-san from Horikawa Nomura, who makes that. It's a three hundred year old company. It's the eighteenth generation mm. owner. Um, those that that's how we that's generally how we find mm. uh, new producers. Well. I'm curious, though, how they are connected, right? They're, they don't have any same industry association. Probably they're just totally in different areas of Japan. They are, but I think the artisanal community is, is fairly small. And so they know each other um, through either they've met each other at a trade show or they just know each other. There are some, there are some small uh, associations, and mm. I think that's how... how, how information gets around mm. right. so when did you uh, found uh, the Japanese pantry we found Japanese pantry in December 2015 so okay just about a year and a little more than a year and a half ago mm. now. wow so, so we already have 12 producers that's a very fast expansion the first thing we did was we got on an airplane and we <laughs> went to Japan and we started um, we started meeting with producers we Every product that we have, we have gone to the producer and met with them. Mm. Uh, sometimes had to convince them to sell their product to us, mm. um, and and just show them that we um, respect their product and want to show it and bring it to America and explain why. Mm. Right. So rather than just you introduce and then you don't have, you have to make sure that it's very good and tasty and also personally. You can work with them. They're, they're, we want to create a personal connection. We expect these relationships to last for a very long time. Mm. And um, so we and we want to have that personal connection. And we also have to go and make do our due diligence to make sure these are actually artisanal products. Which, mm. Not that we really think that they aren't, but we want to learn about them. Right. Because we have to come back and tell chefs or the public about these products. Mm. So do they also uh, export to other countries as well? Some do. Mm. Some do and, and some don't. Some um, some have not really exported much at all, or maybe they tried a couple times in the past, 
once or twice, but it's never really been a focus of theirs. Mm. Um, and so this is, this is something new. Um, the, these artisanal producers in Japan, to, uh, it can be very difficult to be one these days for a couple different reasons. Besides the fact that the population is, is shrinking in Japan, which is not good for any business. Mm. Um, if there are fewer people to buy your product tomorrow than there were today, you're probably going to sell fewer, fewer units. The other thing is that the Western diet is, has been increasing in terms of its, you know, how many people eat more of a Western diet than a Japanese diet. And so a lot of these artisanal products aren't being used as much. Mm. Um, so one of the things that we could go and say to these Japanese producers is, we can help you find new markets. Mm. America's just, we're ready for this over here. Right. So you're kind of a, a solution for them. An oh, inspiration hopefully maybe solution. a little tiny one, but yes, we're going to try. Mm. Because I think uh, you're opening the door for the American audience to this kind of products that probably they didn't know that existed. Yeah, I think if you go to, if you had gone to a supermarket maybe 15 years ago to a uh, you know, a big supermarket, you might have seen one or two different uh, olive oils, for example. Mm. And now if you go to a supermarket, even if it's in San Francisco, it's like Safeway, it's the big supermarkets, you know, you can actually get a pretty decent olive oil mm. um, at sort of a big supermarket. And you can't do that yet for soy sauce. Mm. But we think at some point you probably can. Right. We hope to have a little piece mm. of hand in that. Well, I think uh, the it's the opposite happening, right? So Japanese consumers started to eat more Western food, and American consumers started to eat more Japanese food in a way. Mm-hmm. But uh, the next level, the high-quality ingredients. Yes, hopefully they'll hanker for that. I know the chefs are definitely mm-hmm. asking for that. Right. Well, we mentioned the sake, but sake import, I think the price of sake being imported is getting higher and higher because mm-hmm. American people are ready to pay for them. Right, right. Exactly. Mm. And so I think it can happen also for soy sauce or rice vinegar or other, other products, too. Right. So it's the maturity of the market on both sides. So, yeah. yeah. So you are the solution for that. Hopefully. <laughs> okay. So but how, how closely do you work with them? Like, do you visit them regularly? Yes, we visit them regularly. We have to keep up those relationships. We have to go back and talk to them. We have to report back mm. um, and tell them how things are going and, and, and sort of give them an update. Um, there are also new products. Uh, potentially, there are other products from their line that we would want to bring in. Mm. Um, and then also, sometimes they come here. Right. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, Eosan was here a couple times already this year. He really likes San Francisco. So, mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, mm. that's been great. Right. And by the way, you and uh, Greg speak Japanese? No, we don't speak Japanese. <laughs> How do but you do can... that? <laughs> your heart speaking <laughs> to them. We, uh, well, uh, Wadasan from, from Wadaman, he's, he's incredibly uh, gracious and he travels with us almost all the time um, and helps with that. Oh, so he can speak English? He can speak, he speaks English very well, yes. Mm. So, um, and there are other people who have helped us also along the way. So mm. we've been very fortunate to have. Help. Okay. So uh, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, uh, we'll talk about uh, the two craftsmen and their products that Chris brings to the U.S. So please stay with us. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Whole Foods Market believes in seeking out local, fresh, and seasonal food and in supporting local farmers, makers, and the community as a whole, economically and agriculturally. Whole Foods Market believes in food that is vivid and colorful, fresh and full of nutrients. Food that connects you to your body, the seasons, and to nature. Food that helps you do more, sleep better, and wake up happier. Found in over 400 locations throughout the United States, Whole Foods Market only sells food that meets their standards, which means no artificial colors, flavors, preservatives, or sweeteners, ever. Whole Foods Market believes in real food. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com or download the Whole Foods Market app to learn more. Welcome back. Uh, you are listening to Japan Needs, broadcasting live from a studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Teyama, and my guest today is Chris Bonomo, who is the co-founder of the Japanese Pantry in San Francisco, which is dedicated to bringing the best quality artisanal Japanese ingredients to the U.S. So, um, could you tell us about some examples of your favorite products and their makers? Absolutely. Um, 
it's kind of like having children and saying which one is your favorite. They're all amazing. Um, but let's start with, with Wadaman Sesame products. Mm. Um, as we talked about before, the Wadasan and Greg sort of thought up the whole idea of the business. Um, and his Sesame products are amazing. Wadaman's been in business for over 130 years. Um, Wadasan's father actually is the roaster who roasts like 12 hours a day, six days a week. Um, and this is what Wadaman is known for is roasting sesame seeds. Mm. Uh, they, t- they take those sesame seeds and they sell them as is, as roasted sesame seeds, but they also turn it into sesame paste, which we would sort of think of as tahini here in America. Mm. Um, and also amazing, uh, uh, amazing sesame oil, basically extra virgin sesame oil that they press themselves from the roasted seeds. Mm. Well, I'm curious, the roasting sesames. I mean, you know, of course, you're in the market, you can see unroasted sesame seeds. But roasting reminds me of like coffee beans because mm-hmm. you really enhances the flavor, toastiness, versus you can make it milder. It absolutely enhances the flavor. Um, it, it's really an art how they, how they do this. And the other thing that makes the product so flavorful is they these sesame seeds still have the hull on them so Mm. um that adds flavor they look puffy they are bigger than your normal sesame seeds it has nothing to do with those tiny white specks that are on the back of your hamburger bun Mm. it's a completely different product it is sesame flavor through and through Mm. so maybe hulls uh, add more charred flavor and some nutrition well? I think th- definitely nutrition and also um, I think there's there's flavor in there too that I mean, these these are perfectly roasted so they're not burned in any which way a lot of times you, uh, you might see a recipe where it says to toast your own sesame seeds or even special pans that you do that because they start to pop and the pan has a little mm. mesh on top so that they don't pop out of the pan right. um, and you're going to burn half of them. There's just no matter, no matter mm. how much care you take. Right. But these are these are all roasted perfectly, and they're just so flavorful. Mm. Um, and the pastes are just completely, um, they're just lovely. It's the best sesame butter and jam you've ever had. Seriously, you should do that. Um, <laughs> and, and the other thing is they make three different kinds. There are three different varieties of sesame seed. There's white, golden, and black. And they're all different. The goldens aren't just the white sesame seeds, higher roasted. There's a different variety, and they all taste differently. And that was one of the things that was eye-opening and kind of mind-blowing when we tasted Wadasan's uh, sesame oil, is that they were like amazing olive oils. Mm. Each one, the white tastes different from the gold, tastes different from the black. Mm. And they're just amazing. They're nuanced. Unlike... A lot of sesame oil that you get here in America, which are either from completely not roasted sesame seeds or way over roasted sesame seeds, so it's almost a burnt flavor. These are kind of right in the middle, maybe a little above middle, and they're just spectacular. Mm. And the other thing is we are incredibly lucky. We are the only place in the whole world that gets these. He he presses these himself, and we buy it all. Mm. <laughs> wow. It's, uh, and, they're, and they're amazing. They've, um, they've gotten a great reception so far uh, from our chefs in San Francisco. We've been selling to chefs in San Francisco since June of last year, and we've gotten an amazing reception to all the products, but especially the sesame oils. Mm, hopefully bring them to New York sometime soon. We're sort of on allocation right now, so as as we grow and as uh, Wadamon grows in its production of sesame oils, they will definitely be coming here. Absolutely. Mm, okay, so please keep me posted. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, maybe I can make an announcement on the show. Right. So, uh, so what's the the other um, producers? Hey, can you tell us? Well, let's talk. So, uh, let's follow this this trail down. As I was talking about before, Wada Wadasan introduced us to Doisan. Mm. Uh, Kombu Doi is a hundred plus year old company that is based in Osaka. That uh, is a supplier of incredibly high grade kombu. Mm. Uh, kombu, of course, is um, is dried kelp, which is uh, one of the three ingredients with water and katsuobushi that is made that dashi is made from mm. so it's it's incredibly important to japanese cuisine doisan's kombu comes um all great kombu comes from hokkaido his is ma kombu that's the variety uh, or the species of kombu and it comes from the southern side of hokkaido 
Doisan is um, he's religious about kombu and about dashi. He mm-hmm. hosts every uh, at least once a month. He hosts a dashi making class at his shop, uh, which is for Japanese people, not for tourists necessarily. Because his whole goal is to get people to start making dashi again. Mm. Um, it's an incredibly important part of the Japanese cuisine and culture, and it's also really good for you. And he wants people to start that again and to stop using powdered dashi, mm. which is well. Yeah. Actually, when I have dashi and what about a meeting, I don't have to use salt, right? Because it's umami, so naturally my body is satisfied with that exactly salt. Exactly. Right. It, uh, it, it really adds to almost anything. It's amazing. Mm. The one thing I found on your website is that uh, Doi-san's kombu is aged for at least two years. Mm-hmm. So why is that? That's when he thinks it tastes the best. He, um, he wants to age it. He, he has, he's experimented, and their company's been in business for so long that they have a long experience with this. But two is where he thinks it, it's absolutely the best. Mm. Um, Something magic happens during those two years. Mm, interesting. Actually, I spoke to um, one of the Kyoto chefs, uh, Shihiro Takasan. He's a uh, 15th generation of uh, Hyote, mm. but it was one of the best kaiseki places. And uh, he uses aged kombu. He does. Yeah, too. Uh-huh. And he said uh, the strong oceanic flavor disappears after aging. Uh, okay. And the dashi, cow of dashi, becomes more clear. Mm. And, but also, he said that uh, if it's over, uh, you know, certain time it gets too concentrated to make dashi and needs to be kind of like you know too ah. kind of in the background mm. instead of like me if it's right. too concentrated so that's the you have to know exactly you have to there's a science and an art to all this that's right. for sure doisan is so he's so famous um he was actually in one of the uh one of the editions of oishinbo Mm. So that's uh, the comic book. The, the comic book about food that's uh, from Japan. Right, yeah. obsessive gourmet comic book. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so he's he's very well known, and he's he's a really cool guy too. Mm. <laughs> we were lucky enough to go to his house one night, and he made us a nine course tasting menu where everything uh, had kombu in it. Wow. It was really cool. I want to do a live show from there. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. Yeah. Again. <laughs> Let's talk about it, maybe. <laughs> All right. So I also found uh, you have vinegar company, Io Jozo. Io Jozo. Uh, Io Jozo. They're sort of a model for the companies that we um, are fortunate enough to, to work with in that they are obsessive in a good way. They, c- they control the process from the field to the bottle in terms of making their vinegar. So they plant some of their own rice. They tell their local farmers how to make, how to grow the rice otherwise. Then um, they make their own sake, mm. <laughs> which they then turn into vinegar. So even artisanal vinegar uh, makers in Japan, the vast majority of them, use somebody else's sake. So they don't make their own sake. But Iojozo thinks that it's so important to actually make their sake themselves that they actually do. And it's incredibly labor Intensive, time-intensive mm. process. It, it takes um, well over a year from field to bottle right. for these guys. Well, it's a lot of labor and cost and the real estate and everything to make sake for that. Exactly, right. exactly. Mm. But I'm, I'm sure that's the essential part of the flavor, and you want to be in control. They want to be, exactly. So um, it's it's just part of their process. They, they can't think of any other way to make it. They mm. wouldn't take somebody else's product. Right. And, uh, somebody else's sake and make it into vinegar. They wouldn't know exactly what they were going to get at the mm. end. I, I found that I was reading uh, the website, the Japanese web- website, and this, they're so such a perfectionist. So perfectionist. You know, group of perfectionists. And uh, so I, I read that after you make um, uh, you know, the sake, you blend with the kind of mash and uh, make it in vinegar. And usually it takes uh, at least... I mean, the eight hours to maximum a few days, but they spend 100 days to naturally ferment <laughs> to make the vinegar. And basically to age it also, and it really kind of mellows the flavor a bit and, mm. and takes away some of that, that acid hit. Um, of course, it's still vinegar, and so there's still acid, but it, um, it's matured in that way. Mm. If the rice vinegar you get from the supermarket, it takes a day to make. Or two days at most. Mm. So this is a whole different product. A whole different product. Right. So this, this vinegar is like, that hits your nose. But theirs seems like very rounded. That 
It is, and there's an actual interesting story about that because... Um, so let me digress for very quickly here and, and give a little lesson about uh, rice vinegar and what it takes. So to be legally called rice vinegar in Japan, you have to use at least 40 grams of rice to have a liter of rice vinegar output. Hmm. Um, Io-san will tell you that it takes at least 100 grams of rice to get decent rice vinegar. Well, Eojozer's yeah. <clears throat> standard rice vinegar starts at 200 gram or uses 200 grams of rice. <laughs> okay. And I think that's one of the best rice vinegar. It's the best rice vinegar ever tried. Um, Greg thinks the same thing. So it's not just some home cook who thinks that. But in Japan, they had customers who said, so restaurant customers in Japan who said that the nose was a little bit too strong. The mm. scent was too strong from that vinegar. So they went back to the drawing board a little bit and spent five years developing another rice vinegar, their premium rice vinegar, um, which uses 320 grams of rice, <laughs> so eight times the legal minimum, um, and is so silky smooth. The nose is so subtle, and it's, it's just an amazing vinegar. And that's the kind of vinegar you want to use, not in cooking. You don't want to put heat to it, but you want to use that um, to... to you want to highlight that in your dish somehow. Mm, wow. I can't wait to taste that at some point, <laughs> hopefully, in my, my life. <laughs> it's, a, it's an amazing vinegar. Mm, okay. And uh, you also have, you mentioned Yamaki Jozo, right? Yeah, Which Yamaki Jozo. They are, they're a company, a, a soy sauce brewery that is based in Saitama, which is uh, the prefecture. It's a little bit outside Tokyo. It's where it actually gets green and it stops being a megalopolis. And <laughs> um, it's pretty out there. It's hilly. Um, and, you know, they are an example of, and we've seen this in a number of different companies that um, we've been fortunate enough to meet with and, and whose products that we carry, is that one generation ago, so sort of the the father of it, and, and it generally is, it's a patriarchy over there generally. So it's generally the father who made a decision and made a break with, with tradition and decided that pesticides were a bad thing and really focused and, and on getting and uh, making an organic product. Mm. And this is, you know, like I said, a generation ago. So it was a really big mm. switch and it was really kind of, um, revolutionary to go back to the old ways. Mm. And that's what Yamaki Jozo, um, uh, Kitani-san, uh, that's what he decided. Now mm. his, his children are now running the, uh, running the uh, brewery, but they still, they still do the exact same thing. So mm. the product that we carry from them is uh, organic. It's um, Nama, so it's not pasteurized. And so it's, it's a little livelier. Um, and it's aged for two years in in Japanese cedar barrels, so it's brewed traditionally. Wow. It also uses, um, this was a great time, when we went to visit them, this was really cool. We went to the top of the local mountain where there's a spring, and Japanese springs, usually anybody can go and you can fill up your water bottles. When we were up there, there was a, a couple who had, their car was full of bottles, and they were filling it up and bringing it home, and they had their water for the week. <laughs> um, and Yamaki Jozo actually has their own pipe that goes all the way down the mountain to their brewery, that to use this mountain spring water, and that's what they use. Mm, wow. Very nicely obsessive. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's what everything is thought out, and everything is, they, they figure out how to do something better, mm. how to, to make their product as best as it can be. Uh, it's amazing. Right? So it's so traditional, and uh, they, had, they started like 1902, and then somebody decided to go back to non-pesticide means it's risky. It's very risky. And a lot of cost and labor, I guess. They had to convince, they basically had to guarantee the local farmers that they would buy their products. Mm. Um, and then, of course, that is a big financial risk for the farmers. But if, then Yamaki Jozo tried to take that risk off by guaranteeing they would purchase it. But then again, that's a big financial risk for Yamaki Jozo. Somebody has to be willing to take that risk. Mm. And thank goodness they did. Right. There's no compromise for the flavor. No. Right. So Not it's a very traditional but very forward-minded it, it is, exactly, mm. exactly. And it's yes. paid off, I think. Right, so that's the pure spirit of artisanal producers. They're a perfect example, and we've seen that in a number of times. Uh, mm. Different, again, it's not necessarily this generation, it's a generation before who made a big decision to move. Um, it's actually the same for Iosan at uh, Iojozo. Um, the current, current owner, or the current 
he was on, it was his father who made the exact same decision. Mm, right. And also, you mentioned that, you know, the cedar barrels for this Yamaki Jozo. And, uh, you know, if you, they, I heard it, they inherited for generations. Mm-hmm. That means there's a ben- beneficial bacteria in it that adds a flavor. Absolutely. And depth. So that's uh, the beauty of tradition. That's, that's one of the things that really is um, important, um, is that those cedar barrels, the cedar does not really impart flavor at all it it's a porous it's a porous wood and it it's a great place for the back the beneficial bacteria to grow so it's part of their terroir um mm. for any of the breweries i mean we have a the brewery ito shoten who makes tamari their youngest barrel is 100 years old mm. it, like you said it's been in the business for generations right. and it's important to them as a matter of fact we have another producer um that in the last seven years or so, they expanded their brewery, uh, increased the size of their aging room. Mm. Um, they kept their barrels, but it was a little bit different in there. The The environment was different all of a sudden because it was a new, bigger building. Mm. And so it took them a couple of years to sort of get their mojo back, you know, right. to get that funk back in that room. Um, as a matter of fact, sometimes what happens when you have, when you are going to uh, upgrade or rebuild your aging room, you try and use the exact same boards mm-hmm. on the inside of the aging room because that's where all the beneficial bacteria is. Right. And it really is part of your terroir. It's what gives your soy sauce or sake or whatever um, its its specialness. Mm-hmm. Right. That reminded me, I visited uh, like seventh generation uh, soy company, like brewery. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are, you know, they are production facility is kind of like a greenish mold <laughs> and that's the whole thing that's, that's a it. live flavor that's their flavor and that's what makes their soy sauce mm. their soy sauce so they if they move and switch the the wall it's a product that's gone it, right? it really it'll take a while for them to get back i mean if they kept the barrels that'll be very helpful but mm. it will it'll be different for a while right. definitely interesting okay so uh so who are buying your products so there are two sides to our business, as I talked about before. There's the wholesale side and the retail side. The online retail, we started that just about the beginning of this calendar year. And so that's anybody around the country, home, home cooks like me, um, who want to get some amazing uh, Japanese ingredients. The wholesale side of our business has primarily so far been to chefs in the Bay Area, mm. San Francisco Bay Area, because that's where we're based. Um, I'm out here now to start bringing some of these products to chefs here in New York. Um, the we've as I talked about before we've gotten a great reception uh, the most of our customers over 90% are not Japanese restaurants mm. they're everything but Japanese restaurants awesome uh, California cuisine we have Italian restaurants that use our soy sauce like you were talking about just sort of a extra layer of flavor in there that no one would have any idea mm. uh, but it, it adds so much well, actually, interestingly, you've talked about the fermentation, the bacteria. That's, it's not the saltiness, right? It's more about the flavor Absolutely. of that bacteria. <laughs> it's not a good term, but that's what it is. Absolutely. No, it is. I mean, Japanese cuisine is very heavily reliant on or based on, I should say, fermentation. And mm. I think we're finding that fermentation is incredibly important, not only for health, but also for flavor. Mm. Right. So they keep us alive even more. That's true. Right. That's true. Okay. So uh, what is your plan for the future? Our plan is to is to keep introducing this to a wider and wider audience here in the U.S., both from uh, a chef's standpoint and also for the public, too, mm. to show these amazing ingredients. Um, it's, you know, it's we pick this name, the Japanese Pantry. It's a pretty generic name. Because it's not about me and Greg. It's about these producers. It's about Doi-san and Wada-san mm. and Io-san and Katani-san and, and what they have been doing and what they continue to do mm. to this day. And so our job is really storytellers to tell their stories about themselves and about the products. Mm. And it's a community. It really is. It really is. It's, it's, it's nice to, to get to know these people and to, to form these these uh, relationships that are going to last hopefully mm. for a very long time. Right, and it's this expansion of community of artisanal producers themselves, and it's coming to the U.S. Mm-hmm. And you are leading that kind of communal efforts. Just, just trying to introduce these amazing products. They should be here. Mm. They definitely should. People, 
people have been pretty excited. Right. I have to find out more about the products. So where can we find the, the information? Uh, the JapanesePantry.com. So that's our retail website. Um, you have, besides looking at all our products, we also have stories about our producers. We have stories uh, from when we've been to Japan and, and visiting these producers. We also have recipes. Um, again, the re- that's the retail site, so it's not necessarily for chefs. But they can look at these recipes too. But we always have a Japanese recipe for an ingredient and then a non Japanese recipe mm-hmm. to really show the versatility of the products and how you can use them in your, in your home kitchen. Mm. Um, if you're a chef, you can email wholesale at thejapanesepantry.com and we'll get in contact with you. Um, and you can read all about the products. Every product that we have on the website is also available wholesale. Mm. So. Amazing. Thanks. Okay, so uh, thank you for joining us today, Chris. Thank you, Kiko. Yeah. It was great to be here. So hopefully you can come back and talk more about new uh, producers. We'd love to. We'd love to when we get some. Okay. All right. So listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for guests or topics of the show, please contact us at japaneats.heritageradionetwork.org or kikokatema.com. Japan Eats live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, and Stitcher Podcast. And please go to iTunes and Stitcher and write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. And, and, and our engineer today is David Tadasiore. And thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.